Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back this week and we're back with uh, some more answers to some of your questions. If you're brand new to the program, uh, that's what we do here is try to answer viewers' questions. Our goal is to get people to know their Bible, get them to study their Bible, and we found a real good way to do that is just to let you tell us what you'd like us to talk about instead of us trying to figure out what you want to know. We let you direct the program, so you ask the questions. You'll see a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us. Uh, if you get a live operator, they'll write the question down for us and put it in our stack. Uh, comes on the internet, we'll get it that way and uh, we'll get to them just as quickly as we can and try to answer your question, anything about the Bible or something in your life that you wonder what the Bible might have to say about it. We'll try to get it answered. Let me introduce my co-host here, Mr. Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go and uh, I'm studied up and we'll see if we can answer a few of these questions for the folks, but we always give them one first. Uh, kind of a trivia question. Who in the Bible was afraid of his twin brother? Had a little sibling rivalry here, so tell me who was afraid of his twin brother, and we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. Toby, I think you drew the first one today, so get us started. I drew the first one, and it's about the last things. A uh, person asked, Who are the 24 elders who sit around the throne? Well, if you're not familiar with the Bible, this is a picture that comes to us in the book of Revelation. And so let's look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 4 together. And there we read, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Now this is a strange picture because, you know, we got crowns and, and, and uh, people in white robes uh, sitting around the throne. And kind of makes us wonder, this is what the viewer is saying, what, who are these people and what is this about? To understand that, the answer to that question, you have to understand the context of the book of Revelation. The Apostle John is exiled to the island of Patmos, and while there he receives a vision from Jesus, and uh, he, he's not only told to, to write specific letters to specific churches in Asia Minor, but he is also uh, given a picture of heaven and of uh, this prophetic vision of things which are shortly to come true. In fact, the book of Revelation several times, uh, specifically uh, in chapter 1, verse 3, at the beginning of the book, he says, Blessed is the one who hears, who heeds the things which are written in this book, the time is near. And so the vision is concerning things that were shortly to come to pass. Of course, the message is timeless, and all Christians of all ages and locations <laughs> can relate to uh, being persecuted and what must happen, but how they can stand firm to the end, and Jesus will be with them. And so the answer to the question is that they are the elders uh, who directed the affairs of the, the church, of the martyred church of that time. 
they worship God continually. They also instruct and interact with John in the vision. They give him instructions about what's going on and what's happening. And some of that we understand clearly and some's a little harder to understand. Um, and so while they aren't specifically named, we know that they are the leaders of the churches who are being persecuted and, and we surmise that they had been <coughs> martyred as well. So that's who the 24 elders were and that's what part of John's vision is that they have. So I hope that helps you in your study of Revelation. Not an easy book. Nope, but uh, appreciate your answer there. Let's uh, answer one. We'll go to the other end of the book. Go back to Genesis <laughs> here. Uh, this viewer wants to know, why did God destroy the world? Why did God destroy the world? Well, anytime I see a question with the why at the front, I get nervous. I very rarely get those right uh, because we don't know why God does some things unless He tells us. And on this one, I'm happy to say I can answer it perfectly because God told us why He destroyed the earth. <clears throat> and to set the stage for it, uh, it happens in Genesis 6. And it says that men on earth became, began to become wicked and disobey God and uh, marry whoever they wanted to. And it sounds like some men got very powerful like dictators and uh, ran the world the way they wanted to and all that. And then it progresses. And in Genesis 6, 5, let's look at that on the screen. Here's what God says. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So there's why. Verse 6 says, God grieved when he saw what man had become. A man went so far away from what God intended him to after Adam and Eve's first sin uh, that it grieved God. And he, and he looked and he saw that man didn't have any good thoughts. Uh, they just looked for evil things to do all the time. And so he decided, we're going to start over again. Uh, we're going to destroy every creature on the earth with a great flood. Uh, the few righteous that I find, I'll preserve them and we'll start a new civilization. And Noah and his family were the new civilization. So that's exactly why the earth got so wicked that God destroyed it. A uh, couple of comments on that. We don't know how long that was uh, from when the earth was created. If you're reading, it sounds like it just happened like a month or two after <laughs> Adam and Eve were created. Uh, but there's a time frame in between five, chapter 5 and chapter 6. We don't know how long it was. It could have been centuries or millennia. We don't know. Uh, but the earth finally got so wicked that God started over. And the other thing about that verse I'd like to say is that kind of gives me a little hope uh, for today, uh, it seems that everything's so wicked these days that he can't let us last much longer and, and actually we'll be glad when he does come back. Uh, but it seems to be going toward the end pretty fast. Uh, but we're not as bad as that. There are a lot of good people left. Uh, there are a lot of good Christian folks in the world that uh, pray and do the right thing. And uh, back then, everyone, all they thought of was evil stuff. So uh, we're not quite as bad as it was when God destroyed the earth the first time. Uh, but he is going to come back and we, we're getting closer all the time. So anyhow, that's the answer. The earth got so wicked, God started over. We're closer now than we've ever been to <laughs> yeah. the end, right? <laughs> Prophetic. <laughs> I think I have the next question. And the viewer submits this, I believed in sprinkling, but was told by some friends that unless you were immersed, 
you will not enter heaven. So I was also immersed. But a friend told me that unless my husband and son were immersed, I would not see them in heaven. Please talk about this. All right. Uh, well, the first thing I would say is that I appreciate your friend's heart. Um, but I, I do want to say that it is important that no matter who tells you something, uh, what, what is the ultimate authority and the reason why we promote Bible study <coughs> is the Word of God. Uh, it is the final say. It's going to be the words that judge us in the end, uh, not your friend's opinion and not my opinion. Uh, we do our best on this program to cut the Scripture straight, uh, but we always encourage uh, people to have the heart of the Bereans. The Bereans were a group of folks that Paul was sent to in Acts chapter 17. And it records there, Luke records that they were more noble because they examined the Scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was really true. And I love that spirit. And so I want to encourage you to um, write down these verses I give you uh, in this answer and study them for yourselves. Uh, it's, it's fine to hear what we say on the program and maybe to listen to other God-fearing people, but at the end of the day, uh, the answers that matter are the answers that come from God. Now, to your answer directly, uh, baptism, the word, means immersion. And so, a lot of, unfortunately, uh, that word was transliterated from the Greek. Uh, baptizo was the word, and it meant, if it had been translated, it, it would have been translated into dip or immerse or plunge. Uh, however, because that was uh, not agreeable, um, uh, to those who translated it, they decided to transliterate it. They just took the Greek and made it to an English word. And so we have the word baptized and lots of interpretations of what, uh, uh, what we mean today as a baptism. Uh, but the original meaning has always simply meant a burial. And so we understand that it has to be going under the water. Um, Jesus commanded baptism. Uh, the apostles commanded baptism. And when they said baptism, they were saying immersion. Uh, you can look through the scriptures, the many examples in Acts. Uh, there's no one a, example of a person becoming a Christian who is not also baptized. And where the scripture is specific enough, we're told that there's a lot of water. Um, and if sprinkling would do the trick, we wouldn't need a lot of water. Just a little would do it. Um, now, some people say, well, you're arguing over minute detail. Well, details sometimes are important to God. And I think there's a reason it's in there that way. So uh, immersion is the only way to actually have been baptized. There's another word for being sprinkled. Uh, it's rantizo. And so if you're sprinkled, you're, you haven't actually been baptized. Your friend is correct. But uh, look at Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. That won't be on the screen, but I'd like you to look that up. Uh, and there is a verse I would like to read that will be on the screen for all of us to look at together. Let's look at that from Romans chapter 6 where Paul writes in verses 3 and 4, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? I'll pay special attention here. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The scripture is clear, baptism is necessary, and when you study it more in, uh, deeply, uh, it, it's very clear that it was by immersion. I want to definitely encourage you to sign up for the Bible Correspondence Course, because there are a couple lessons uh, specifically directed at uh, the subject of baptism and immersion. So, always study the scripture, and I uh, hope that helps you in your study. Okay. 
Toby uh, mentioned a couple times in there about the importance of studying the Bible yourself <laughs> and uh, being like the Bereans. That's what this program is about. We want people to know their Bible, and uh, we try to help you with answering a few questions, but we also think Bible study at home is a good thing. So we have some free Bible studies that we're happy to send you in the mail. Uh, emphasis on the free there. We never ask for money or charge anything. In fact, the lessons come with the return postage, so you don't even have to pay uh, Uncle Sam anything for the privilege of studying the Bible. But we will send you uh, the first lesson in this course you see on the screen there. Uh, there are eight lessons in it. It's just a good introduction to the Bible. And you may know a whole lot about the Bible. You may have uh, grown up going to Sunday school and all that. If so, uh, I imagine if you take this course, you'd be surprised at some of the stuff that comes back to your mind or that you never quite understood it that way. A good, solid introduction to the Bible here. Starts there. The first lesson you can see is the Old Testament. Second's the New Testament. So it gives you the basics of what are the two big divisions in your Bible. You go on there from other topics. Uh, once you get through with this course, uh, we've got a certificate we'll get you that... Uh, uh, recognizes your accomplishment, and then we've got some more advanced courses. You can study the Bible for quite a while with Know Your Bible Study Tools, and we're happy to provide those free for you and just want you to know your Bible. So phone number, website are on the screen. Use either one of those. Uh, let us know you'd like that course. We'll get it started for you. <clears throat> uh, we got a lot of questions about baptism. Uh, here's another one uh, following up on Toby's. Uh, this one's about infant baptism. What about infant baptism? Does it count? Uh, we, some people, in fact, we've got questions before. Why do you talk about baptism so much? Well, we get that many questions about it. Uh, people are interested in it. And when we get two in a row like this, it probably means we were talking about baptism that day. And a couple of people had ideas and, or that they'd always wondered about. So they called them in or put them on the website that day. Uh, Toby's question was about the mode of baptism, the method of it. Uh, do you do it with sprinkling? you do it with immersion? What do you do it with? How do you do it? This question is about the subject of baptism. Who should be baptized? And uh, their question is very simple. What about infant baptism? A lot of people baptize infants. Uh, of course, according to Toby's description of the mode, uh, they don't really baptize infants. They rantize infants. They sprinkle them usually. Uh, I don't know of anybody that immerses in, uh, infants, but maybe somebody does. But anyhow, this is about the subject. Who's a fit candidate for baptism for salvation? Uh, I thought the easiest way to answer this one maybe was to give you uh, some of the things in the Bible that it says are necessary for salvation. Now, as you read this list, you, you think about whether an infant, an eight-day-old infant or a two-week-old infant or a a year old infant for that matter could do them. Uh, here's a list in Romans 10, 14, 15 says, before we can be saved, we have to hear the gospel. You have to hear it and understand it is included in that. John 3, 16 says, whoever believes can be saved. You've got to hear the gospel and you've got to believe that, okay, Jesus uh, is the one who can forgive my sins. Acts 17, 30 says, you have to repent, uh, direct command to people who wanted to know what they should do to be saved, got to be re repenting. Uh, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, you confess him before men. 
and then he'll confess you before his Father in heaven. If you make the confession that Jesus is Lord with your mouth, then your salvation will follow that. And Acts 2.38, of course, is one of the many verses that clearly says uh, baptism is necessary for salvation. So you look at all those, and which ones can an infant do? Well, you can sprinkle some water on an infant, uh, but he hasn't heard the gospel, hasn't believed it, hasn't repented of any sins because he doesn't have any sins, and hasn't confessed that Jesus is Lord. So uh, I think that answers the question. What's infant baptism do? It is good for something, but not salvation. Uh, the Bible's really clear about what we need to do for salvation, and only understanding adults can do that. Uh, and by adults, I mean even young people that are old enough to understand sin and salvation and all of that. Now, when infant, and I don't want to be too harsh about this because a lot of people, uh, parents who do baptize infants have really good intentions usually. Uh, I know some people do it just as a ritual and they don't think about it and don't know it's just what you're supposed to do when a baby's born. Uh, but most people are dedicating that baby, consecrating that baby. Uh, and actually, it's more about the parents. They're saying, uh, I'm going to raise this baby as a godly child. Uh, that's my intentions. I want this child to have a good relationship with God, so I'm going to consecrate it in baptism to God. And that's a noble thing, a good intention. The only trouble with it is if they teach that child when he grows up that he's been saved already, then they've forgotten what the Bible says. Uh, many people... Um, and denominations and faith groups uh, actually have children re-study or actually study for the first time uh, the Bible when they get to be 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there. And then they re give them an opportunity to commit to the faith themselves, uh, which is an admission that, yeah, infant baptism uh, doesn't do much except kind of make the parents feel good and it's good for the parents. Uh, but you need to understand yourself. You need to have your own faith, all that. So it, that, that's a good thing. But the best thing is to follow the biblical principle when people are old enough to understand and hear and believe and confess and repent and be baptized, then they can be saved. So uh, there's some good intentions in infant baptism, uh, but it doesn't save people. So hopefully that answers your question there. All right, Toby, you got another one? Yes, um, and I wanted to follow up on your okay. your last one to, just to say if someone's out there and they've been uh, sprinkled as an infant uh, and you just alluded to it, I thought that was great. You know, honor your parents, the, the commitment that they had, and, and once you see the Scripture saying, I must be baptized, uh, then go ahead and do that, you know. And, and uh, some people just seem to argue, well, I'm just going to, Trust in the first one, and uh, I think it honors your parents and what they're trying to do uh, when they when you were brought into the world to continue their legacy. So I appreciated your answer. Uh, the next question is: How will God treat people who are Christians, but because of bad problems commit suicide? Well, uh, this is a uh, a terrible uh, subject. The subject of suicide so uh, painful, especially if, if you. Uh, have someone that you were close to that took their own life and so it's very difficult to think about those questions and wondering where will that person be in eternity um, and so I, I don't know it's hard to know 
what frame of reference you're asking from. I think you're asking from you know a person who's experienced uh, a loss of a very close loved one, family member, and you're just wondering <clears throat> how God's going to going to treat that. Um, we'll get to that in just a second. But if you're if you're a person who's considering suicide, if if you're depressed and you're just having negative thoughts all the time, I really want to encourage you to get some good biblical Christian counseling, to get some help uh, right away. Uh, uh, don't just sit and, and stew in your depression. Uh, that can be a, a, just such a terrible thing. Don't dwell on it, but really seek out some help. So I want to encourage you to do that. Um, let me first say before I answer this, I don't claim to speak for God. I don't think we ever have on this program about how he's going to deal with each individual's judgment. Uh, that's a decision that only God will make and that he will make the exact right call on. Uh, secondly, scripture does not speak directly to this subject, although it does tell us of some stories of, of uh, people who have committed suicide in scripture it never gives us any reference to where they end up in eternity and judgment um, and so God knows the hearts of, of those folks then and even folks today and his judgments will be exactly right now the logic most people use or many ha have used in the past is that suicide is self-murder and murder being a sin even self-murder uh, and a sin that you can't repent of because once you do it, it can't be undone. Scripture tells us uh, it's appointed a man once to die and after that to face judgment. Uh, they surmise that, well, you know, this person has committed a sin. They can't repent of it. Therefore, they enter into eternity with sin um, and that they've, you know, ha enter in with the sin that they have, hasn't been forgiven. And therefore, they would spend eternity in hell. Uh, and I understand the logic and the reasoning behind that, but it leaves out of the equation the heart and the mercy of God. And so um, I, I really want to emphasize that that may be the case, but that God may also make a very different decision. He knows that person's state of mind when they did it, if they were in the right state of mind. He knows their heart. Uh, he knows their circumstances. And so uh, I I'm going to say that I think God will treat each individual case, and it may be differently, different outcomes eternally, uh, but the you know the same uh, the same action. And so uh, we want to remember that God is a merciful God and He's a righteous God, and that He will always make the right decision when it comes to that. Let's look at a verse together from Ephesians chapter two, verses four through five. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Um, I hope that reminds us that God's a God of mercy and grace, and that uh, in those specific cases, we don't know what's going to happen, but God will make exactly the right decision. All right, Hank. So we got a question about speaking in tongues, and that question is: Is speaking in tongues necessary to be a good Christian? Uh, well, we've talked about this topic enough on Know Your Bible that you know uh, we believe the biblical gift of speaking in other languages that you haven't learned uh, no longer exists. That was in the first century; it's been stopped. Uh, what's practiced today by some people is a psychological event called glossolalia by the scientist. It's uh, sublimating the conscious part of our mind and letting the subconscious 
uh, run the verbal skills that we have uh, and talk in a nonsense language that's not another language. It's a learned behavior. Uh, it makes a lot of people feel good, makes them feel closer to God, uh, but it's not from God, we believe. So, uh, but to answer this question, let's go back to the first century when the real gift of tongues existed, when people could speak in other languages. And Paul writes them in 1 Corinthians because they were using it for kind of show, uh, having fun speaking in other tongues and impressing other people with it and all that. And here's Paul, a couple of Paul's arguments why they shouldn't be so hyped up about tongues. 1 Corinthians 12:30, he says, do all speak in tongues? Now, if you read the whole context of that paragraph, what he, this is a rhetorical question. He's saying, no, not everybody does speak in tongues. Not, not even everybody then had the gift. And 1 Corinthians 13, 8, he says, where there are tongues, they will be stilled. So they're going to stop. Okay, so to answer the question of today, is it necessary to speak in tongues to be a good Christian? Back when the gift existed, not everybody had it. So the answer is no, absolutely not necessary. Uh, let's talk about a good place to visit. Uh, go to church if you live in Hutchison, Kansas. Let's talk about the Eastwood Church of Christ. We like to mention some of our sponsors every week. Uh, this is the Eastwood Church in uh, Hutch right next to the fairgrounds. Great bunch of people there. Jimmy Reed Mead's a minister. I know you'd enjoy hearing him speak. Uh, great group of folks there. So if you live in that area or if you're passing through, uh, looking for a church home or just want to thank some folks for helping put Know Your Bible on the air, uh, that's a good place to go. Uh, but uh, we invite you to visit the Church of Christ, whatever viewing area you're in, and hope you enjoy that visit. Toby, you got time for a quick one? I think we Real can tackle quick. it. Yeah, very quick. A verse person asks the question, what is the sin that leads to death in First John 5.16? Well, let's look at that verse on the screen. First John chapter 5.16, it says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Now, some people have, uh, religions have developed a whole doctrine of, therefore there must be certain sins that are absolutely mortal sins, and you commit those, and you know, you're going uh, straight to eternity in hell. Uh, there's other sins which are minor sins uh, that can, can be forgiven, worked out of. Uh, that I do not subscribe to that doctrine. I don't think the Bible teaches that at all. I think what this is saying, if you look at the context of 1 John chapter 5, there are some sins that just have the natural consequence of death. As the result, um, an example would be murder. Jeffrey Dahmer years ago was a serial killer. He murdered. He did a lot of horrible things, but he repented. He was forgiven. He was baptized, and he became a Christian. And, but yet he still had to face the consequences of the death penalty. And I, to me, that's, I'm saying some sin has the consequences of physical death. And he, John's saying that's just going to happen. Uh, you can still be forgiven. So that's what I think he's saying there in context. And uh, it's, uh, it's one that uh, we can look at. We can work on that some more some other time. Yep. That's a tough question. Yep. Let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. Who was afraid of his twin brother? He had a couple of twins that didn't get along, and the answer is uh, good old Jacob was afraid of Esau uh, because he had tricked him and gotten the inheritance from him. So he was afraid Esau was going to kill him and uh, hid out from him. Uh, we're glad you've been with us today. We'll be back next week with more of your questions and try to get them answered. Till then, you have a great week.
Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.